morning guys, good to see you. I've got a bit of a rattly chest, so if I cough during it, just assume it's speaking in tongues or something. Flemish. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> These things, they just come out. It's like preaching Tourette's. Um, so, uh, you know why uh, where should be so good? Because... During worship, what we do is we, we, we focus on truth and we just declare it. And it, it's as simple as that. We, we stand united and declare truth. And I want to speak to you about truth this morning. If, uh, well, I was going to say if that's all right, but to be fair, uh, the truth is it's all I've got. So um, it's truth this morning. Uh, and I'm going to share some truth with you uh, first, Sam, if you could just gear things up. I, th- I think you'll like this, because I-, I thought, right, truth, truth can sometimes depend on our perception, can't it? And um, here we've got a, ch- a school exercise where children were asked to uh, complete the famous proverbs. Uh, these are Bella's proverbs. Bless her. I'm assuming Jack is her little brother uh, or something. Uh, Don't bite the hand, Jack. Um, But, you know, Bella's truth sometimes might be different to what we we think is truth. Um, But she she carries on. She has some more. These are cool. People in glass glass houses are rich. Um, Don't count your chickens because they need privacy. And make sure you don't put all your eggs in there. Um... Um, wonderful, isn't it? All fun and games. Till Darth Vader comes. Um, bless her. You know, and then I, I thought, well, there's got to be more out there. So I did. I found a great one. This is, um, this is a test. Someone's been posed a science question. The science question is, why are there rings on Saturn? This student answered, because um, God liked it. So we put a ring on it. Um, now, and you've got to love the teacher who's marking this sat there just going... Jared, Saturn was not a single lady. Uh, You know, but, and I I know that one's like a bit silly, but, but you know, kids, they they, they see what they see and they say what they say, don't they? And and to them, uh, that's truth. To them, that's their truth at that moment in time. That's what they think, that's what they go for. And I know that last one's sort of silly, but Bella, I think that was her truth. I think that's where she was at. And to some extent, don't that highlight the issues that we face in today's society, that um, truth is so open to interpretation, truth is so open to, uh, to abuse, to conflicting truths, to um, we, this is said enough, therefore that now becomes truth. You know, and, and, and so much of it is untruth. So much of it is false. And... The truth is, this morning I just want us to focus on some of God's truth. What does God say is true? What should we be building our lives on and around this morning? In John 8, 31, 32. uh, I think I've got it. Yeah. Okay. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. We have a command to seek Jesus' truth. What did he tell us was truth? 
And we have a mission to follow that truth. Because it is only in that truth, guys, that any of us are ever going to experience the true freedom and blessing and liberation that God gives us. We need to know truth. And over the last few weeks, Jared's been talking to us about the kingdom of God. Truth upon truth. We talked about the mysteries and the metaphors Jesus used to reveal truth. Yeah? Last week it was Easter. And we spend probably greater time really focusing on the truth. Don't we at Easter? You know? But honestly, do we always live in the revelation of that truth? Is it a truth that impacts us day upon day upon day? In Daniel 8 verse 12, uh, it talks of um, truth being thrown to the ground. And I believe we've got to be careful we don't do the same. And I don't just mean the world, I mean us too. We can't throw truth to the ground. I don't want us just to sleepwalk through life. Vaguely acknowledging God's truth, but not living God's truth. That we don't throw God's truth to the ground ourselves and follow our own interpretation of the truth, where we mix and meld what we like of the world with what God tells us is true. This quasi-truth is not right. It's not a God and it's not how we're meant to live. And the truth is, sometimes I think we live like Easter Saturday. Don't we have? Monday, Thursday, we start to focus on the Last Supper. Good Friday, we, we focus, don't we, on the sacrifice Jesus made for us. Easter Sunday, we celebrate his resurrection. And Easter Saturday, Saturday. Isn't it? Easter Saturday, Saturday. And we live with these two amazing truths that on one day we will focus everything on and on the other day we will focus everything on and in the middle we'll, we'll muddle on. Do we live like Easter Saturday? I think sometimes we do. We, we sit surrounded by amazing truth and we're aware of it but we don't always choose to focus on it. You know, we can't live like Easter Saturday guys. You know, we're called to be more. Yeah? So we're going to explore some of God's truths, if that's all right. And I'm just going to do a scattering of them, okay? Because I think different ones are going to resonate with different people. And um, it's not like, in that respect, one of those sermons, it's not like a three-point sermon that's going to build and progress to to reach an end point, okay? Because as we consider different truths, it's going to be more, it's going to be like a spiritual tapas of truth, Okay? But I promise you will all feel fed at the end, okay? Because it's funny tapas, isn't it? You're never sure it's going to fill you. But at the end, whoa, I ate that much. Yeah? John 3, verse 16. I think it's a good place to start. If I can find it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Truth. And again, a truth we, we focus on at Easter, and we focus on at other times too. But actually, it is our fundamental truth. It's what our eyes should be fixed on at all times, not just Easter Sunday, not just Good Friday, that Jesus died to set you free from sin. 
that Jesus died to bring wholeness and healing to your life. That Jesus died to make you a new creation. To tear the veil, to give you access to a father who loves you. The truth is, you are loved every day that much. And let's not throw that truth to the ground through familiarity. Let's not throw that truth to the ground because we know it, I can park it, I can move on. And it's always there if I need to remember it. Let's live each day in the truth that Jesus died to set me free. To know my Father intimately because of that sacrifice. That's the fundamental truth that God has established rock-solid foundations in your life if you choose to acknowledge them. In Daniel 2, we'll dip in and out of Daniel a bit, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's had a dream. And in this dream, he's seen a statue, this statue. Ta-da! Our interpretation of the statue. And he, he has this dream, and, and he doesn't know what it means, and he asks people to interpret the dream. And uh, the, the, the wise men of the time said, oh, we're not interpreting it, because if we get it wrong, we know what happens. Um, we probably won't be around to interpret the next one. So he says, no, I'm not doing it. And Daniel says full of the wisdom of God, I'll interpret the dream. I can tell you what it means. And he recognises that each different section of the statue uh, represents different kingdoms of mankind, different rulers that have uh, established a kingdom over the earth with their law and their culture. But in the dream, a rock, it says, is forcibly cut, torn from the statue. And then that rock is used to smash the statue to pieces and to break it. And then this rock is all that remains. And it tells us that the rock doesn't just remain, but the rock expands. It grows. And the rock becomes a mountain that fills the earth. And it tells us there in Daniel 2, 44, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. That's the rock that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. The rock is Jesus. And Jesus establishes a kingdom that is eternal. A kingdom that that is greater And can defeat any kingdom that mankind can establish. Any truth that mankind says, let's follow this way. Anything that man establishes in their own strength, for their own ends, is destroyed by the eternal kingdom. And Jesus has established this kingdom on earth. Jesus has established this kingdom in your life. And it is immovable. And it is visible every time you choose to look. And it won't have gone anywhere, and it'll still be majestic. Will you just look on it? Will you just look on it? If you're lost this morning, the truth you need. Jesus has established a foundation, a rock-solid foundation of freedom in your life. And the kingdom of God was established on earth, and it is greater than anything mankind can offer. And it's yours. Just fix your eyes on it. Fix your eyes on it. So if I asked you, 
Next truth. What's the largest living organism on Earth? Steve. I've, uh, this is called directed questioning. Okay? Not open questioning. Directed questioning. It's the moment all students fear. What do you reckon is the largest living organism on Earth? Humanity. Oh, there's always one who gives like good spiritual answers, isn't there? Okay, I thought you'd say like a blue whale. Oh, so yeah, yeah, he's got a blue whale, yeah. Okay, so he's more spiritual than you then. He went for the humanity. Um, so, science would tell us it's this. The Colorado Aspen Wood. 47,000 trees. 106 acres covered. 13 million pounds in weight. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's not a single organism. They're individual trees. There's 47,000 of them. What's he on about? He said he'd tell his truth. Um, and they are individual trees, and there are 47,000 of them. But you know what's amazing about the Colorado Aspen Wood they've discovered? One root. 47,000 trees, one root. Because what's special about the aspen wood is how it multiplies. In Latin, it's pando, which means to spread. You see, because the tree sends out a root network across the surface of the ground. And from each root network, the new trees sprout. So consequently, the whole forest is interconnected by the same root network, and all the trees are one genetic individual. They all share the same DNA. Now, let's remind you of some more scriptural truth. I am the vine. Not, no, I'm pointing at me. Jesus is the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You see, the sacrifice of Jesus, God established a kingdom on earth and it's an immovable kingdom. The rock became a mountain and we can always fix our eyes on it. But it's not just something to look on. It's not just something to remember that happened. When Jesus died for us, and you chose to follow him, you became joined to Jesus. Spiritually, almost organically joined to him. The vine that we are part of, and therefore the DNA that defines and distinguishes Jesus, defines and distinguishes you. Truth. That's cooler than your response. The DNA that defines and distinguishes Jesus, defines and distinguishes you. And if a man remains in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. If, if you just take the truth, Jesus died for me. Jesus is in me, and I'm in him. If you just focus on that, keep your eyes on that truth, Seek him, soak in him, read his word, pray, seek Jesus. Fruit, that just means good stuff. Good stuff is a given. Good stuff is a given. 
because we're joined. Now, how did they determine the edge of the aspen wood? Where does it stop? Okay, they just DNA tested this tree. Brilliant. DNA this tree. Same. DNA this tree. Same. DNA this tree. Same. DNA this tree. No. There's the edge. Very easily, they could determine the edge of the aspen wood. Where does it change? The aspen wood's not the largest living organism on Earth. The churches. And I want to tell you this morning, the church, the promise of Jesus, has no edge. There's no edge, there's no limit to the promise and the opportunity Jesus offers mankind. So you were nearly there. You know, we tell ourselves sometimes the false truth that we've fallen short, that we're not good enough, that we could never be part of what we see. They all look so spiritual. They all look like they've got it sorted. They, they, all, they all know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. Jesus will never forgive me. What I've done is too bad. I've fallen too far short. I'm too far on the edge. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's not your truth this morning. We need to throw it to the ground. Your truth can't be greater than God's truth. You know, the real truth is, as long as you accept Jesus died for you, as long as you understand that he died to set you free, that he paid the price for your sins, you're at the vine. Jesus is in you. You are in him. This morning, guys, there's no need for you to be on the edge. And if you feel that you are on the edge, you just need to fix your eyes on the truth. The truth of what Jesus did for you on the cross is enough. So the kingdom of God has been established like a mountain, immovable. You're part of the vine. Jesus' DNA is in you. Now, I'm sure you might think, ah, I can sort of get that. At work, I'm, I'm pretty viney. Um, you know, I feel like it's, it's working. I, I spoke to someone last week about going to church once. Um, you know, I'm, I'm all right. I'm clearly, it's working. Um, I'm bearing fruit. I've been patient. Um, whatever. You know, when, I, when, I, when I'm in church... Get it. Feels right. You know, I understand. Certainly my ministry area, that's going great. But my, my health? Maybe not. My marriage? Maybe not. Those little things that I keep tripping up on. Maybe they're not so viney. I've just coined a term. God's not in them. God's in these bits. I can feel that. I'm not so sure God's in these bits. Yeah? Isn't that the truth sometimes we can live by? Uh -uh. Yeah, do you remember family fortunes? Wouldn't it be awesome if we just had like a heavenly family fortunes button? 
that when we're a Muppet, God just goes, eh, eh. They're like, yeah, okay, we'll stop. But we don't. We, we could do it for each other if we want, guys. I'll just follow closely behind you. <laughs> but, you know, it's a lie to say. I can see that God's here working in these bits of my life, but these bits, nah. It's not, it's not true. Our God is more than able to work for your interests, for your best outcomes in all areas of your life. Yeah? But it depends whether you're willing to give that area of your life to him. You know? Let me take you back to Daniel for a minute. I tell you, it's a cool, it's a cool, cool book. It's got some weird stuff in. But, you know, chapter one, I discovered there's loads of firsts in uh, Daniel. Chapter one, I discovered the first case of veganism in the Bible. There you go. See, it's not just a new fad. It's been around for ages. Daniel 4, chapter 33. I think we see the first predicted case of dreadlocks. Because I don't know what else that means. But then, what I also discovered is God's throne's a wheelchair. I was like, wheels? Wheels don't feel very biblical. So I did a little little study on wheels in the Bible. Don't worry, we ain't got time for that. Um, But I studied on wheels, and I found there's there's wheels in Ezekiel, there's wheels in Revelation. Um, uh, There's all sorts about wheels. They've got eyes on them, and the spirit in them, and uh, they're all interlocked, and there's something to do with someone called Beryl. Um, (laughs) It's a colour. I know that. Um, But... The living creatures in Ezekiel, they've got wheels. Some cherubim have wheels. We've got that long, haven't we? All these paintings are like chubby toddlers with wings. <laughs> cherubim have got wheels. It's like some giant Segway party in the heavens. <laughs> there's, it's like, there's wheels everywhere. And I was like, well, what's, what's the deal? And, and like, you know, the reality is, I took one thing from it. It was worth a study. Um, the living creatures, the, the cherubim, they have four wheels. Um, here we are. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance uh, and structure of the wheels. They spat like topaz. They all, they all had four Each appeared to be like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not change direction as the creatures went. I mean, if you take all the peculiar images aside, heaven can go in any direction. Heaven can go all places. There is nowhere that heaven can't go. So if you think the kingdom of heaven can't touch that bit of your life, you're wrong. It's not true. God's throne has wheels. He can position it anywhere he wants. He'll position it anywhere you invite him to. 
We used to sing, didn't we? As we worship, build your throne. I think we got it wrong. As we worship, bring your throne. And instead of our attitude building steps that are going to obstruct access, maybe we should be designing ramps of obedience. Ramps of acquiescence. Ramps that just say, God, I'm going to invite you into this part of my life. Because God's got the mobility to do it. Yeah? Let's not limit God in our lives because of what we believe is truth. God's truth is greater than our truth. You just need to invite him in. This is a ride at Disneyland. Um, these little cars, you sit in them and, and, and they spin round. It's a typical ride at Disneyland. You queue two hours for it and it lasts a minute. Um, and we did that one summer. Um, and they're not the most spacious. If you're my height, they're not overly helpful. You sort of lever yourself into the back and rest your chin on your knees. And uh, we queued two hours before we went on the ride, and, and uh, it, was, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, and then we got on the ride, and we, and we got in it, and, it, and the heavens opened, and it started to rain, as it does, just at that moment. And I levered myself in and thought, this is going to be a painful minute, but anyway, it's only a minute. Hallelujah. Um, and then I looked across at the family set in a car opposite, and there, and there was a mother and father and a little, little girl who was really, really excited. She must have been about four. Um, and she was really looking forward to it. And then sat in the back, um, there was this like six foot four, 18-year-old boy. <laughs> and he was massive, and he, he obviously like levered himself in there too. <laughs> and, um, we, uh, and there was a moment where our eyes met, <laughs> and truth was exchanged. <laughs> And uh, he looked at me and I looked at him and he just went, I never wanted to be here anyway. (laughs) But you know, he didn't. And you could just see everything about him. Didn't want to be there. God wants to be there. God wants, desires to be in every part of your life. Even the bits that you wouldn't think he would want. Even the bits you're ashamed of. God wants to be in them. Will you let him? Will you invite him in? He'll be in the middle of your joy. He'll be in the middle of your pain. He'll be in the middle of your love. He'll be in the middle of your loss. He'll be in the middle of your gain. He'll be in the middle of your disappointment. He'll be in the middle of your blessing. Just let him in. It's truth. God wants to be there. The other truth we need to grasp is we have to be in community with each other. In in a society that at the minute is emphasising individualism, individual rights, personalisation, do what you want, be what you want, be who you want, take it now, it's yours, with impunity. God's truth is the opposite. God says, will you be in community? Will you care for and think of others? Will you put their needs at times above yours? God asks us to use scriptural terminology to join the fold, to be part of his flock, to journey together. This is a sheepfold. 
In Hebrew times, normally the sheepfold would be a courtyard and it would be attached actually to a house, the shepherd's house. And it would be surrounded by a stone wall like you see here because the fold was a place to belong, to be hemmed in. Normally next to the fold there would be a well because the fold was a place of provision. And there would often actually be a tower because the fold was a place of protection. We're called to be in the fold. Scripture shows us Jesus put people in the, put them in the fold while he went to get the one to bring them, to bring them back into the fold. Often there'd be one gate and the shepherd would sleep at the gate to protect those that were within. We're meant to be in the fold. There's a truth here for some of you this morning. You've got to choose to be in the fold. Because for some of you, you've always held yourself a little bit apart, a little bit separate, a little bit independent, never fully committed. You're meant to be in the fold of God's people. If I have a sheet of paper that's got something vaguely geographical on and I give this out in lesson, students are going to do one of two things with it. One thing they're going to do is they're going to fold it up like that And they're going to put it inside the book. And they're never going to look at it again. <laughs> but they know what to do with it. They know it's meant to be folded. Because it has to be folded to fit. You're made to fit into the fold of God's people. Okay, but some of us, we find this hard. Because it's like, but actually, to fold myself, put myself in the fold of God's people, that means giving up some stuff. That means losing some stuff. That means not doing this or that. It means starting to behave in that way. And I'm not sure I want that. I'm not sure I want to be part of the collective. I can do it on my own. It's just mine and God's personal relationship anyway. So, so surely that's it. I'm all right. It's not true. You see, the kingdom of heaven is a bit of a paradox. You're meant to fit into something. You're meant to be part of a community. You're meant to be part of a body. But that doesn't mean losing your individuality. Yeah. It's a lie. It's an untruth. We tell ourselves and make it our truth to justify not being part of something. Actually, paradoxically, becoming part of something means God is going to enable you to actually really discover yeah. who you are, yeah. who he created you to be. And it's then that the second use of any geography worksheet comes in. <laughs> you're meant to fit. But you're meant to fly. You'll only fly when you know who God created you to be, what God called you to, because he's equipped you to do it, but he will equip you in the fold. You see, God individualizes you in the security of the fold. The sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd, but the shepherd knows your name. But giving up self to enter the fold is where you can enable God to let you know what a gifted child of God you are. And he'll do it. But how does he do it? He does it through others in the fold. 
It's being alongside other Christians, rubbing against them, learning from them, having them pour wisdom into your heart, hearing God when you can't. It's in the fold that you are individualized. That's truth, if you'll put yourself in the fold. But therefore, the other truth is that our truth, those of us who are in the fold, who, who are, who've been here a while, or, or maybe a new, but if you're a member of this community, then our truth should be, yes, we live for God, but yes, we live for each other too. Because yeah. it's our responsibility that when they're in the fold, we help them recognise who they are in Christ, that they fly. Yeah, we're called to be an inclusive body full of love and laughter and forgiveness and compassion and correction and acceptance and grace and pretty much any other good adjective. That's what we're called to. Right, I'm going to make a practical point. Please don't disengage because it's actually a really important spiritual truth too. Um, And I think God really wants us to grasp it this morning. If we're going to be part of a community that enables others to enter the fold, to encounter God, to be transformed, to discover their calling and to be all that God created them to be and actually in doing so we do that too. If that's our aim culturally as a church, we can't do that by just being a middle of the road church. We've got to be a middle of the road church. We can't do it by being a middle-of-the-road church. We can do it by being a middle-of-the-road church. (laughs) Let me tell you what I mean. We can come in, can't we, on a Sunday morning? We know we're going to encounter God, hopefully. We know we intend to do the right things. We're going to worship, we're going to pray, we're going to focus on God. Um, But sometimes in doing so, we're going to focus on ourselves, our interaction with him, our hour and a half, our comfort. And in doing so, we might not actually be intentionally inclusive enough. Let me show you. Right, what I'm saying, imagine it's my thoughts. I'm arriving in a squeaky manner. Partway through worship. Everyone's up, everyone's worshiping, everyone's away. And I'm sat there, and the first thing I think now is, oh no, I'm late, I've started. And who designed this building that I'm at the front? <laughs> Nightmare. Everyone knows I'm late now, everyone thinks I'm unspiritual. Oh, Jared spotted me. He might even say something when he stands up. Oh no, what am I going to do? Right, okay, where can I sit? Where can I sit? Where can I sit? Where can I sit? I can't see Mark. He normally points. <laughs> uh, I've got, yeah, I've got a seat. I've got a seat. Okay, right. How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? Everyone's worshipping. Brilliant. I'm going to have to. <sighs> Sorry, camera people. Um, let's just see. Yeah, I've got one. I've got one. Brilliant. Oh, they're all worshipping. I'm going to stand on the feet. I'm going to interrupt their moment with God. Brilliant. I'm going to. It's all right. I can get down. Oh, I'm going to stop here. <laughs> Brilliant. Just at the minute she opens her eyes, she's going to see my bum. (laughs) Hallelujah. Uh, I've I've just stood on the handbag. Oh, there goes the mobile phone. I've just cracked the screen. But anyway, it's all right. I'm coming. I'm nearly there. Hallelujah. 
it's all right, sorry, sorry, it's all right, it's all right, just keep worshipping, it's all right, enjoy God, it's all right, nearly there, nearly there, nearly there, nearly there, I've just stood on it, it's all right, it's got another four, yeah, it's fine, no, I'm not going to stay there, oh, I know, it's fine, I'll labour a point to make a point, it's all right, oh, sorry, oh, that was good, oh, I'm here, hallelujah, amen. What my if? Church. Okay. You know? Right. Sorry, I'm coming back. Right. Could you all do me a favour? If you would. Can you all move down one? Go on. Dare you. Dare you. Awesome. Go on. Go on. Do it. Go on. Do it. 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 Right. Imagine. Imagine. Go on. Keep going. It's all right. You're doing well. Oh man, I'm late. Nightmare, all that stuff. Um, okay, what do I do? Where can I sit? Oh, I can go. Oh. <laughs> Hallelujah! Good morning. Morning. <laughs> Look, I'm being a bit silly. I was given permission. And I'll labour a point to make a point, but and I know there's all practical things. Bancoli's got to sit on the end, doesn't he, to save lives and stuff like that. He's got to go <laughs> cut things off people. And, and I know some of you, you, your kids out at Sunday school and it's the first time and you're worried they'll rip the roof off and all that. But could we position ourselves practically and spiritually? Could we posture ourselves to be more inclusive. Because if I look at Jesus as an example, he was always in the centre. We don't ever see one with a, like, the manger over here, do we? And, like, <laughs> in the temple? Yeah. Sorry, they're all very anglicised Jesuses. <laughs> in people's homes... When he's preaching, at the Last Supper, Jesus is always at the centre, even on the cross. And Jesus sits in the centre now, centre of the heavens at the right hand of the Father, our High Priest, interceding for us. Why? Because Jesus always welcomed people from the margins. Jesus was welcome. Jesus said, come in. And I'm not gonna make it, it's not going to be difficult for you to get in. Jesus said, I'm here to welcome those who are on the margins. Yeah. Practically, can we be a middle of the royal church? But spiritually, can we too? Let our truth be that we place ourselves like a mountain, like a vine. Every part of our lives at the centre, we focused on Jesus. Can we be in the centre of our workplaces? Can we be the centre of our gyms? 
the centre of our streets, the centre of our families? Can we be the centre of our society? Because if we position ourselves where others can't see a way in, how is that attractive for them? How does that present a truth of this is a body who's going to love you? This is a body who's going to accept you. This is a body who says, come in, join us. We're going to love you. We're going to change you. You're safe here. You're secure here. You belong here. Because if we choose to be at the centre, it creates opportunity. It creates space. And it is going to bless the lives of others. And it needs to be a truth that as a body we choose to live by.